Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is honorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would illumine our hearts and minds to the teaching of your will this day. Father, where there be any hardness in our life, may those calluses be softened as we hear your word preached, exposited, taught, and hopefully also applied in our midst. Father, may your spirit speak to us that as these words ring in our ears, they may also shape our hearts and give us wisdom in our minds to properly apply them before your sight as we ourselves, Lord, are your servants, striving to grow more faithfully as vessels in the hand of our Master. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What does your name mean? Do you know what your name means? <laughs> it's interesting. I must confess, I was looking up names earlier last night, trying to think about what differing names in our congregation meant. And it's funny, some of our names have great weight and significance to them. Perhaps they're biblical names and they describe great qualities or characters, or they're held by great characters, individuals of our faith. Some of our names have less significance. They might deal with virtues or concepts like strength or wisdom or beauty. And others of our names maybe have less significance still, meaning, you know, we come from a certain area like Scott, which means Scottish, or Brett, which means, you know, we come from Britain. It's interesting that our names, though, often can also define for us something about our own character. Do you know what Timothy's name meant? Timae, Theos, these are the two Greek words that make up his name. Time means honor, and theos means the Lord. Timothy's name then means honor the Lord, or honored by the Lord, or one whom the Lord honors. And so when Paul here is preaching and brings up the language of in a house there are honored vessels and dishonorable vessels, he's punning and playing at Timothy's own name. You see, his ears would have perked up. His ears would have, he would have drawn near as Paul is moving forward in his argument about, Timothy, who you need to be and who you need to become as a faithful pastor and shepherd of this church. And the words honor would immediately trigger him in his own life. Timothy, hearing and reading these words from Paul, would remember his own story and his experiences with Paul that many years prior, probably some at least 12 years prior to the writing of this letter, the writing of this letter, is when Timothy first met and engaged with Paul. 
He was young. He was living in Lystra. And he was well known and had grown in prominence among the churches there in Lystra and also in Iconium. You can read Acts 16 to get more information here. Paul recognizes that there's something worth investing and building in Timothy, and so he invites him to come and travel with him. Likely as a young teenager then, Timothy traveled with Paul all throughout the Mediterranean world. And for 12 years now, he has been encouraged and invested in by by Paul himself. But not only has he been invested in, Paul has also been a co-writer with Paul. At least five of the letters of the New Testament, Timothy is listed as a co-author of those epistles, of 2 Corinthians, of Philippians, of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and of Philemon. Timothy was a co-author of Scripture. Not only was he co-author of Scripture, but so also he was likely given opportunities to preach and teach and develop. And so, though he is, yes, certainly a young man, He is not an inexperienced one in the faith. And with those things in mind, Timothy still has much to learn about what the ambitions of his life must look like as they continue to manifest themselves in his works and actions, about what he must become to continue to carry the torch of the gospel into the coming generation, that the church of Ephesus and the churches in eastern Turkey might not flounder or fail, in western Turkey might not flounder or fail, but continue to see success long after Paul had gone. It's with these things in mind that Paul continues to encourage and admonish and strengthen Timothy. He's been building up a series of analogies which are meant to inspire and encourage Timothy to press on and be faithful in his work. He reminds him that he is like an athlete who is competing toward the rules. He reminds him that he is like a soldier who is fighting the good fight of the faith. That he is like a hard-working farmer who, yes, must get up early and work hard, but deserves a share of the crops. So also, as we preached last week, that he must become and strive with all his might to become a worker who is approved in the eyes of the Lord. And now he turns to two further analogies one of an honored vessel, and also one of the Lord's servant to inspire him, to encourage him, and to lay before him all that he must become so that the gospel will continue to succeed and move forward in his life. Well, these aren't just standards for pastors or elders. We know that the theme of the Lord's servant applies to all who call upon the name of the Lord, and so also for us. Will we hear these truths and admonitions through Scripture that we might not be static or complacent or passive in our lives, but press forward and strive with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to love and serve the Lord according to fidelity in His calling? Well, as Paul encourages Timothy and so also us, there are three main ideas that he wants to reinforce for Timothy regarding his own work and character as the Lord's servant Firstly, he needs to see and remember who he is fundamentally before God. Secondly, he must be willing to dramatically alter his passions and desires, continually alter his passions and desires. And thirdly, he must be reminded also that if he is to be a servant of the Lord, the habits also of his life will look dramatically different as he serves Christ. Let's consider these things together this morning as we explore the meaning and teaching of God's Word. 
Paul opens in verse 20 saying, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. And it's true, perhaps some of you have visited great houses. I myself do not live in a great house by our modern stretches of imagination, but I've loved to visit on vacations or at varying times the great beautiful homes of history that are available in different parts in the country. During my honeymoon, my wife and I visited the Biltmore Estate, and it was quite an experience seeing all the glory and opulence and wonder that the family held there. And you know if you visited great homes, even still today, they strive to furnish them in a way that reflected the character and the times and the periods in which they were at their pinnacle of life. And yes, these words are true. In great homes, there are great and beautiful things. Paul is reminding Timothy here through his own description that, Timothy, you also belong to a great house. A great house far greater than one that belonged to the Vanderbilts or that belonged to presidents or that belonged to kings. You belong to the household of God. You've professed faith in Him. You've been baptized. You've been discipled. You were not a member of the great houses of the world. No, certainly not. Not by your birth. But you, more importantly, are a member of the eternal house of God. And like all houses, so also the house of God has things of differing levels of function. But what's important in the eyes of the master of the house is not the worldly value that is attributed to those things that belong to him. It does not matter if you are gold or silver, if you are wood or clay. What matters to God in your usefulness to him is one thing. Are you clean? Have you been washed Are you ready and willing to be used and useful by the Master? Timothy then, or Paul then reminds Timothy this great promise from Scripture that if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the Master of the house, ready for every good work. (laughs) Do you ever feel useless in life? Perhaps it's so hot outside you don't want to do anything right now. You're just sitting in the air conditioning. And eventually that's nice and comfortable for a time. But eventually too much laying around breeds discouragement. We don't feel like we're being productive in life. Too much of insignificant activities and lack of engaging in things that are fruitful can hurt and harm our own souls as we become isolated and passive and slothful. One thing this passage reminds us is that if we are in Christ, we are never unuseful to the Lord if we are cleansing ourselves from what is dishonorable. What is dishonorable, it could be a whole host of things that I think is best described as anything that does not bring pleasure or glory to the Master. If anything in your life doesn't fit those categories, those are the areas of dishonor that we must cleanse ourselves of. And it's interesting, this question of who's doing the cleansing. Do we wash ourselves or do we wait around for Christ to wash us? Well, certainly Paul was encouraging Timothy in the opening verse here that you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, Christ is actively at work striving to cleanse us. But as Christians walking in sanctification, we also have a responsibility 
to wash and cleanse our own souls from what is unhealthy. It's why we strive to offer here a context in worship to be cleansed before the Lord, to confess our sins before Him and receive that cleansing that comes from forgiveness. But if you only take a bath once a week, you probably still stink sometimes. <laughs> a great habit of our lives is to make the rhythms of confession, of spiritual cleansing, of seeking God's washing to be a daily and regular habit of our lives. Not just something we do once a week or once a month or whenever it comes to our mind, but regularly and frequently cleansing ourselves from unrighteousness. Taking the time to step aside, consider our souls, open our lives before God's Word, and allow His Word to refresh us and wash us from what is dishonorable. Well, Paul encourages Timothy that you need to see yourself as you truly are before the sight of God. You are both a vessel that belongs to the greatest house in all of human history. And as one who holds that dignity, remember that your aim is to be useful to the master. You ultimately are a vessel in the hands of your master. Your master longs to use you and wants to use you. So cleanse yourself and be ready, willing, able, and zealous to do all and anything that the Lord calls you to. But remember that what is good is not what you define. What is good in your work is what the Lord defines. So be patient. Be ready and willing to do whatever the Lord calls you to. It might be washing floors in the church. It might be doing the rough and hard and dirty work of dealing with the sin of a very difficult brother or sister in Christ. It might be coming to grips with the own brokenness in your own family. But every work that is good is called good by the Lord. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Well, Paul just doesn't want his disciple Timothy to be fully saturated and remember that he is beautiful and glorious and loved by the Lord and in need of continual cleansing before him. But also he wants to remind him that, Timothy, in your desires, in your passions, and your pursuits, you must be willing to continually adjust them in light of the standard of this letter. You remember this letter was given to him to be an ongoing reminder of his calling before the Lord of what he should do, a reference point that he would be continually coming back to in his life and ministry. And so these words, these sentences here in verse 22, is something Paul wanted Timothy to fixate upon in his life. He says to him, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee youthful passions. What are exactly youthful passions? That would be very, very helpful to know if you want to appropriately apply this verse in your life. Well, we would be um, wrong to think that youthful passions are merely designated to the realm of lust and sensuality and those desires that are sometimes characterized as this way in Scripture. I think that John Stott is very right here in seeing these as a much wider, broader category of the kind of desires that first begin to manifest themselves in our lives at a very young age. 
You think about how impressionable we are, we, particularly as we move from childhood into adolescence. And often many of the things that happen to us, many of the things that inspire us in that life, can dictate the decisions and trajectory of the rest of our life's pursuits. And so the things that we yearn for in that season and time in life, like the desire for adventure, to get out and do something productive and be a hero of our own story, the desire for friendship, for companionship, the desire for romance. These things are good and they begin to manifest themselves in our lives at an early age. But the problem with these desires are that often they can become our ultimate in life. And when they become our ultimate in life, we begin to shape every other decision, every other affection, every other sense of purpose and well-being according to them. And eventually we find out as we live life that they are not ultimate. Whether you receive the blessings that come from them and find that you need more and they can't provide more for you, or whether you recognize that you've run into so much frustration in trying to accomplish them that you abandon all hope in the youthful pursuits and passions and desires that we press ourselves toward. Well, Paul wants to remind Timothy that your youthful passions were placed there for a purpose, but they cannot be your ultimate. Put ultimate desires at the very forefront, not just of your yearnings, but what you pursue. Flee, run away, abandon, like Joseph fleeing from Potiphar's wife. Flee your youthful passions and run away from them, but run to these eternal values, the values of righteousness, of faith, love, and peace. Righteousness, that great eternal character of God that both conveys his holiness, his justice, his purity before the world. Pursue righteousness above all else. Pursue faith, not just the substance of what we believe, though certainly we must pursue knowing the doctrines of Scripture, but also we must grow in our trust and confidence of the giver of those doctrines, of Christ himself. Pursue love selflessly give of yourself for the glory of God in the world and no other and pursue peace, that eternal shalom that only comes from knowing God, understanding that he is in control of all things and even the greatest trials in life are but light weights compared to the eternal surpassing glory of knowing Christ. These are the values, Timothy, that I want you to pursue, and not I only, but the one who first called you to be honorable in the life of the world. But Timothy, I don't want you to do this alone. You need to pursue this with all who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We can't pursue the righteousness of God and the things of God in isolation. We need one another. We need to hear one another's stories. We need to see one another's struggles. We must open ourselves to this openness before one another of truly sharing ourselves before one another that in the purity of our own heart and our brokenness, we might share the life of God. Timothy, pursue righteousness, faith, hope, love, but do not pursue these things alone. Pursue them with all who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. 
Well, not only are, do you need to change your desires and recognize who you are before the Lord, but also there are certain habits that if you are striving after the Lord to live honorably, if you are striving to live as the Lord's servant, that you will need to start looking at very particularly in your life. And Paul here gives out his list of things, which he calls Timothy to do. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant con controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. This is the third time in the last few verses that Paul has mentioned quarrels. It seems like this is an issue or dynamic that's going on here in the life of the church in Ephesus. And very particularly, Timothy needs to be very careful about the fights and about the arguments that he finds himself ensnared in. I know sometimes there are things that you all wish that we might be more open about speaking and condemning and directing ourselves to collectively as a congregation. One of the things that all pastors must be mindful of and all leaders of the church must be mindful of when we are trying to point out issues in the life of the church are all these foolish controversies are they in need of being spoken to? Will they unnecessarily stir up the life in the body at this time? And I know we always have divisions in our church or in our churches between those who yearn and long for the peace of the church and those who long for the purity of the church. The man of God, the Lord's servant, must always strive for both. Here for Timothy, whatever controversies were among him, Paul again reminds him, have nothing to do with those foolish controversies that breed quarrels. Because you must be seen and recognized as a man of peace. You must be a man of peace. Because the peace that transcends and surpasses all understanding is what is coming into the world through the life of the church. It's beginning with you. It's transitioning and moving forward into the life of those whom you serve and minister as they receive the peace that comes from God. And then also it is meant to work its way out into the world as the world receives the peace that comes from the Lord. So also, Timothy, as the Lord's servant, you must not be quarrelsome, don't pick unnecessary fights, but be kind to everyone. Be indiscriminately kind. Don't let any difference between you culturally, how someone looks, how you feel, how uncomfortable you may be, how uncomfortable they may be, prevent you from extending the kindness of God to those who are around you. Be able to teach. Be able to pass on the teaching of God's Word in a way that is faithful to the teaching of God's Word, but also that is compelling and winsome and invitational to those who are receiving it, that they might also yearn to know more about the things of which you are speaking. Patiently endure evil. Correct your opponents with gentleness that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Boy, it's hard to be patient with evil when you're being beaten up and bruised and when you're being taken advantage of by those who are around you. Timothy likely finds himself in these own circumstances in his ministry as he's been dealing with a very controversial and contentious congregation. Even in the midst of all of the negativity, of the heresy that is being taught, of those who are confused, those who are departing from the church, the evil and wicked things that are being said about him, still Paul tells him and encourages him, patiently endure evil, even when you yourself find yourself the victim of evil. Boy, that's hard to do. It's hard to do for me. 
because I'm the kind of guy that I just want to get in the last word. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. i got to get in that last word. And sometimes what the life of the church needs is someone who will just stop and say, nope, I'm going to endure. I'm going to patiently bear with these circumstances knowing that ultimately Christ will deal with them. It's not as a way to placate or jettison responsibility by any means, but it's a way of looking at your opponent, not as your enemy, but as someone who has providentially situated you in proximity to them. That perhaps in engaging with you, they might taste, see, and know the life of God that he is giving and presenting before them through the circumstances of even your own relationship. Even if it's a debate, even if it's hostile, the calling and mark of a believer is to be patient with evil and also recognize in the midst of that calling that God may have something in store for even your worst enemy being their salvation. Well, this is something that not only Timothy was called to cultivate, but it was something that, oh, was far more powerfully compelled and presented in the life of Christ, who, while we were his enemies, laid down his life for us, who, while the world was shouting obscenities and profanities at him as he lay on the cross, it was in that moment that he said, what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If we knew that we were crucifying the Lord of glory, would they have shouted those things? Oh, I hope not. If we knew what we were doing in our sins, truly knew, would we continue pressing forward? Oh, I hope not. Timothy, as a servant of the Lord, you must be as Christ in all things to your congregation. You must teach them how to be like Christ in all things that they might be like Christ in their own homes, in their own families, in the places that they inhibit, in the marketplaces, in the fields, wherever they might work, that the life of Christ might make itself known in visible, tangible representations of His glory throughout every city in the Mediterranean world. And through every city in the Mediterranean world, perhaps throughout the world, that the kingdom of God might grow, that sin might be forgiven, that the world might be redeemed, and that the continual plague and pestilence of sin might not have the strength and stranglehold of the world that it had for centuries before and centuries since. Timothy, that is your calling. It starts with you and your church. So embody the life of Christ, that you might be changed, that your church might be changed, that the world might be changed. Do we see this calling not just for those who wear the, the black robes, but also for those of us who are standing before God right now today? We are all called to be the Lord's servants. The question is, is whether we are faithfully serving Him or not. I love the book of Joshua. Perhaps you like the book of Joshua as well. It's a great story of the great conquest of Cain and of the faithfulness of the Lord to deliver the generational promises that he had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what words upon this final victory does Joshua leave before the people of God? He says, choose for yourself who you will serve this day. Will you serve the gods of the Egyptians? No! Will you serve the gods of the Amorites? No! Who will you serve this day? Choose for yourself who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what do the people of God do? They shout, far be it from us that we will serve the gods of the Egyptians or the Amorites. No, we will serve the Lord. 
but it wasn't true of them. And they fell short because they needed the Spirit of God to dwell with them. Friends, we have that Spirit of God. Will we be faithful? Will we press forward and serve the Lord with every fiber of our being? That the Lord might be glorified, that we might be edified, that the world might be transformed, but ultimately, that the things of the gospel might be shown as true and that the glory of the Lord will be revealed through all the earth. Let us pray. Almighty Lord, we have so much more to learn in each of these areas, but you are our teacher and you have given us life. So teach us more this day and this week how we can grow as your servants, how we can receive your pleasure as we work and follow you, how we can be strengthened. Draw us to your word and one another that we might grow in these things. And Father, do not let us lose heart, but may we worship you and follow you with joy. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.